Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you all. And I want to share with you something that came to me very alive as I woke up this morning. And so this is fresh. (laughs) And it's from Psalm number 13. There's only six verses And I want to read it all. And I want you to hear it as David wrote it. It's it's a cry of his heart when he was going through darkness. And he says in verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider, answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him, and my adversary will rejoice when I am shaken." That expression, shaken, it it means in our English today, anxiety. I I will be filled with anxiety. Verse 5, But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Okay, I, I think the psalm speaks for itself. I don't need to uh, go into what is happening there. This is, this is a man who is in a very dark place in his life. It's, it's a place where anxiety is gnawing at the edge of his mind. And the, the emphasis is on how long that this man is weary with life. How long is this going to go on? How long do I have to have these feelings that I'm having here? How long do I have to confront the opposition? How long? I, I'm weary. I'm burned out would be another modern expression to describe this chap. He, he's He's full of questions as he faces... What would you say? Distress, that's for sure. There's distress in every line of the earliest verses here. It's full of sadness. He says sorrow all the day long. There's a sense of aloneness. He speaks of being abandoned. This is what he's going through. He's known the promises of God. This is David. He's, he, he's, everything we know of David begins with the great promises of what God shall do in his life. But at this point in time, 
all he's experiencing is, it seems, like the reverse. And if we could get into the background of this psalm, um, it was especially from his relatives. His relatives. Those closest. They can hurt you the most, you see. And so, so his father and mother, do you remember Psalm 27? He said, my father and mother have forsaken me. Strong word. I won't go into it any further, but that, that's here. He is even his closest, his brothers, they couldn't stand him. And they were always picking on him. And again, we could go into Samuel, First Samuel, and see that. Um, but his father-in-law... Now, there, there you've got a man. That was Saul the king. And, and being the king had everything at his disposal and set out to make it his purpose in life to kill David. The man was obsessed with jealousy and envy of David and he's trying to kill him. And and then if if we were put into Psalm later on in his life, his own children, which would end up in Absalom trying to kill him, this fellow had knows trouble. Wherever you go in his life, you could possibly use this psalm. Um, trouble, trouble. Uh, and, and his darkness. It's not just a sort of outward rumbling of trouble. This is trouble that has got inside his mind. This is trouble that is um, darkness, that is mental darkness. You know what I mean by that, mental darkness. When every thought is being baptized in darkness, it's, it's emotional darkness, the deep feelings of forsakenness and hopelessness and futility and frustration, darkness. We're in, in all our thoughts, we're, we're groping in confusion. At another time, um, David, in similar circumstances, wrote Psalm 23, where he speaks of the possibility of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And just to say those words, it, it brings up the, the dank, dark atmosphere, the threatening atmosphere that was filled with, with demonic evil, demons in the darkness. And, and in, in the middle of this, he's looking around and says, how long? How long? He says it four times over there at the beginning of the psalm. How long? How long is this going to go on? Until when? You know, I, I, I know there's journeys in life, but it would be awfully nice to have this journey over with and start another one. Will it ever end? How long, O oh Lord? How long? And, and when he said that, believe me, he wasn't saying it in the sound of my voice. My voice is, is almost happy compared with how this poor chap wrote the psalm. I, I can't take it anymore. There's a scream here. I can't take it. Can't take it. Give me a date when all this is over and I'll grip my teeth and go through with it. But right now, I can't handle it. This is where David is, as the psalm opens in its first words. The, the mind of David that is reflected in these verses in the New Testament would be called, I suppose, the flesh mind. 
It's, it's looking at life totally from within my senses, my five senses, what, what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, what I'm touching and feeling, my five senses. It's, it, it's my, my brain working according to its intellectual capability, which is logic and common sense. Uh, and so, yeah, my, my brain, every thought I have is saying there's something awfully wrong here. And it shouldn't be going on this long. It, it, it gets to the point. Um, in 1 Samuel 27, it records how David at one time, as I said, there's a lot of this in his life. And on one occasion, it says that David wept until he could weep no more. And at that time, it was his own closest friends who had ganged up to lynch him. You see, what can I say? We, we are not of this world, but we're certainly in it. And it's in it, in this world, where we're facing the malice of persons who just plain don't like us. We're facing the persecution of those who despise our faith. We're facing also the spirit world, satanic world, that seeks our demise and hatred in this world, but we're not of it. We're of another world, of the world of the triune God. And this man is working out his faith in the middle of the darkness of this world, the flesh mind. I, I think I think every one of us we we know that we're looking at life and and all we can. It's 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 as if we hear. Well, you've got to face the facts, man. You've got to face the facts and and see what's plain in front of you. This is the way it is. Look at the bank account. Look at what she said. Look at what he's done. And so on and so on. It's common sense, you see. It's, it's logic. And of course, there's religious logic. And that, and I know this for sure, is far worse than just the plain logic of my human intellect. Religious logic. It looks at, at everything, and it seems troubles multiply, and, and, and I'm being pressed down. And, and my religious logic, with its, its best religious voice, it says, there's something wrong. Obviously, obviously, some, something's wrong. Where's the blessing, you see? Where's the blessing that God promised? Obviously, there must be sin in your life, to have this amount of darkness in your mind. If you had more faith, says religion, as it sneers at you and says, oh, you of little faith. If you had more faith, this wouldn't happen. And if you happen to go to church in this mood, someone's going to point at you and say you've got to answer the appeal because you probably lost your salvation or your backsliding or something else like that. It, it reflects in what David said without reading the psalm again. He, he is presenting himself as, as be, he feels that he's forgotten. 
He feels that the presence of God is no longer present to him. He feels, to put it in modern parlance, he is saying, I've missed the will of God. Something has gone terribly wrong in terms of my relationship with God. God has turned his back on me. He doesn't care. You talk about love, but I don't feel any love. In fact, this seems to be the day of my enemies exalting over me, he says. The devil's having a party, pulled out the champagne and they're dancing in the streets. They got me. That's what it feels like. And he said, I've counseled with myself. Oh, we all know what that is. When self sits down with self to advise self. What what a mess. (laughs) What a mess. When you counsel yourself, you brainstorm with your head. You pull up the best wisdom of your ancestors and your own Life, and you get yourself a migraine to boot. Futility, frustration. Or the words Jesus used uh, to describe this counseling with self, he says, take no thought. Taking thought, he said, results in anxiety. If you take thought, it goes around and around, as if the thoughts all have hold of each other's tails, and around they go, around they go. It takes about five minutes, ten minutes at the most, and you're back to square one to start all over again and review the situation and bemoan the impossibility of the situation. Anxiety. You're baptized in darkness and fear. Well... What what, what are we going to do? One thing I would say is very important, very important. The psalm, this psalm, this little psalm of six verses, David is exposing all of his thoughts. I really want you to hear this. David is exposing all of his thoughts to his God. What a... That's amazing, you know, because these kind of thoughts, you know, they don't don't sound very, they don't sound very saved, do they? You know, the first line is sort of accusing God. Will you forget me forever? Well, he's not supposed to say that to God. How long will you hide your face from me? Come on, you don't talk like that to God. Yeah. I have sorrow in my heart all the day. You're a believer, man. You're supposed to be full of joy. It's one of the greatest things, in fact, although what I'm going to say is far beyond this, but this, this could be the message of the psalm that we need to take away with us, that without any shame, without any embarrassment, without any fear, he's exposing all of his thoughts to God. And we only hear this after the fact, when it was all written down and published, but 
when it was actually going on, he only reveals these deepest thoughts to God. He doesn't go to other people in order to have a self-pity party. He doesn't go to people to commiserate with him and say, you're having a terrible time, and I don't know what's going on either. No, he, he goes directly to God and is so comfortable with God that he can tell him exactly what he's thinking at this time. He he can say to the Lord God, these are the questions I have. This is what I'm feeling about you right now, and it's not very nice. This is what I'm thinking about life. This is what it looks like in terms of the enemy. And here I am. I, I, I come and I bring these thoughts. That's so important. You see, he brings his thoughts, his deepest thoughts, his darkest thoughts. He brings them into the light and brings them there without shame and exposes them before the eyes of the God he feels has left him and turned his back on him. He's coming and he said, I, I share these thoughts freely with you, Lord freely. Okay, that's what was happening when David wrote this psalm. Now, I want you to do something you might never have done or thought of before, but there's another level to this psalm, as to indeed every psalm. Notice that, every psalm. There is a New Testament level to this psalm. Or could I put it even more succinctly, there is a gospel level to this psalm. The Psalms, there's this whole book of Psalms. It it is a book of glorious, inspired poetry. Um, What is it? The Passion Translation calls it poetry on fire. Yes, absolutely. Amen. It is. It's inspired. It's on fire poetry. But... The inspiration of it, the inspiration, the fire of these psalms is that they are prophecy. Would that be the right word? They are the thoughts, the feelings of Jesus that were written a thousand years before he was born. Did you know that? It is not talked about much these days, but in the first years of of the church's history, that's how they looked at the Psalms, that the Psalms were in, in and through David came an expression of the thoughts and the feelings, the inner life of Jesus. Wow, that, that opens something up altogether. This is This is Jesus speaking? Yes, through David. And if you're wondering at me with cross eyes, um, there's one in particular, one psalm, that everybody agrees on that in Psalm 22, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That David said that, and David said that out of an experience he was having, little knowing that through his experience he had connected with the very mind and emotions of Jesus and his experience, mental, emotional experience, was a prophecy of Jesus. But we seem to forget that that's true of all the other Psalms. Now, having said that, 
put that on hold for just a minute. What do you mean by salvation? Oh, I'm, this isn't a trick question. What do you mean by salvation? I've asked that question. I've been in ministry now for over 60 years. I've had plenty of time to ask a lot of questions of my congregations and audiences to make sure that I'm addressing their need. And so I've asked this question over and over. What's salvation to you? What do you mean by salvation? Do you know over 90%, well over 90%, the answer is that I won't go to hell when I die or something like that. That being saved is I'm saved from some future punishment. Dear Lord, what a boring life you must live. Salvation. And the word, of course, has a variety of meanings. It means deliverance. It means wholeness. It means healing. It's sometimes used to describe healing of spirit, mind, emotions, and body. Look. Hear me very carefully now. Salvation, if it's of any use to me at all in this present moment, salvation has got to reach into our minds. You see, when I speak, speak a word of unlove, speak a word of complaining, speak whatever word that I know is not consistent with the gospel, or I do something. And in so many gatherings of believers, that's where it ends. If you said something wrong, you did something wrong, you're going somewhere wrong, then you've got to repent of the goings and the doings and the sayings and try your best not to go and do and say again. That, that's like if you had a whole infestation of flies in your kitchen and all you did was go around with a fly swatter. They'd multiply as you're squashing them. No, you just need to take the garbage out. Our problem is not in our behaviors. It's not in our words. It's in our mind. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. It's, it's in our mind. And the scriptures are very plain. Speaking of the... Of the let, let me read it. It's in Romans chapter 8, um, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh... That is, a person who lives within the boundaries of his human mortality, his human self. It says, set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, they set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life. And peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's talking about man outside of Christ and saying the whole problem is is his mind, and specifically the mind of the heart, my deepest mind. If I'm going to be saved, 
in any sense that the Bible speaks of salvation, which is here and now, you've got to deal with my mind. But my mind, that verse almost in itself uh, reduces me to hopelessness. It says my mind outside of Christ is hostile to God. And it says it cannot be subject to the law of God. It doesn't want to be. How on earth is my mind going to be saved? How how can I be saved out of the darkness? How can I be saved out of the accusing thoughts of the lies of the darkness? How can I be saved from thoughts that are behind every word and every action? It's here in my heart, mind. That's where I have a relationship with the Holy Trinity. And also, if that relationship is a broken relationship, it's out of that heart-mind that I live in the darkness of believing that I'm separated from God and His love. It's in that darkness of the lie that I, I find separation from my fellow human beings, finding that I'm envious and jealous and angry and bitter and slanderous and all the rest of it, like, like parasites living within me. It's the monsters in the darkness of my mind. Because in that darkness of the mind where we have our belief system of the satanic lie, that's where we believe God doesn't like us. That's where we believe the lie that God is the judge, the punisher, and only ready to pounce on us because we've irritated his holiness. That's why Adam and Eve, they hid from God whose love came searching for them, but they perceived it, their mind interpreted what they saw and heard as being punishment, and they hid from God in terror. It's the mind. I say it again, um, that uh, unless my mind is saved, then I'm not saved. You say, what, give, give the mind some information, give inspired revelation of the truth. That doesn't work. Your, your mind just receiving information, if it's, even if it's divine information, it will twist that to be used against itself or against God. Persons who walk in mental, emotional darkness, they find verses of Scripture to condemn themselves with. I don't know how many letters we receive in a year from persons who live in the terror, the tyranny of believing they have committed the unpardonable sin. They've gone to the Scripture and all they could find is verses to condemn because that's what the mind will do. How? How do we... How does the mind get saved? Listen to me. Maybe you've never heard this before. I don't know. The only way that we can be saved is by what we call in theology the incarnation. It is that God, God the Son, sent by the Father, 
the Father who loves you passionately, sends his Son, the delight and the darling of the Trinity, and the Son received the commission to come because he passionately loves you, he would come and take to himself our humanity. Yes, but do you know what that means? It means that he got inside our darkness. Without seeing your face, how do I... God help me to say this. Jesus got inside your mind. Got inside the thoughts. Got inside the belief system. Looked out through eyes that had only ever looked out on the false God, the God that Satan invented, got inside our ears and heard all the twisted messages that the lies gave. Jesus became flesh, says John chapter 1. He got right inside of our fallen condition. You could say... Uh, going back to the Garden of Eden, that what the incarnation means is that God the Son got inside Adam behind the bushes so that he could look out through Adam's mind and see what Adam saw. And it wasn't a pretty sight. He got inside Adam and heard what Adam heard. And it was terrifying. And Get inside the fears and the anxieties of Adam and become one with it. Have you ever thought of that before? Or have you been exposed to that cheap, shallow idea that Jesus, who had very little relationship to us, because how could anybody have relationship to us who had all lights flying out of his head, and he floated 10 feet above the ground and did things we could never do, and then did something for us somehow on the cross, and if you believe him, you'll be saved. Please, would you flush that down the toilet? God became flesh. He got inside me. He got inside you. And I mean inside so that he was exposed to my thinking and my seeing and my believing and all the lies that held me. Got inside us, became one with us, assumed it as his own. Now we're talking salvation. Jesus got inside all the parasites that make the mind think stupid and crazy. Jesus got inside and heard as his own all of my if-onlys that hadn't happened. If only that could have... He got inside that with all the despair. He got inside that terrifying, what if that happens? He got inside that. He took those thoughts, made them his own. He took, he got inside the terrors of the darkness with the monsters that live there. He felt what I feel when I feel separated and abandoned. The sufferings of Jesus were 
his entering into the mind, the thoughts, the emotions of a person abused, every abuse known to a human being, Jesus got inside our thought processes of that time of abuse. He knew the pain. I, I was in Russia before the wall came down and I, I, I saw communism, socialism at its best or worse. Miles of persons lining up before dawn, five feet, five persons deep, all waiting for a little door to open. They could rush in and get a piece of a cabbage or a shoe that might not fit them. Such despair as I've never seen. It was all over Moscow. And as I walked those winter streets with people in absolute despair, they just stood there. They stood there for two hours waiting for a door to open that would only serve a few hundred people with a piece of rotten cabbage. And I looked in their eyes and they were empty eyes. They were despaired. There was no more life left in them. They were just standing there because. And as I walked those streets, I began to feel a despair, a hopelessness, such as I had never felt in my life before. What on earth was happening? I thought I'd met every devil in hell. And as the day went on and, and the, the oppression and the darkness became deeper and deeper, it suddenly dawned on me that I had picked up the despair of the Russian people that I had mingled with all day long. Their hopelessness, the energy of their living death had got into my head. And I, as a human being, am... I'm not a stranger to darkness. I'm not a stranger to despair and sadness. And yet, I, I had entered something beyond my comprehension. And understanding that, well, that changed everything and I was able to handle it. But I realized God, God the Son who had only and ever lived in the delight of His Father, lived in the love of the Father and the Holy Spirit, lived in the joy and the peace that is the Holy Trinity. He came into our world and assumed a human mind and didn't just pick it up, but actually took to himself that which was utterly, utterly foreign to him. Darkness, despair, doubts concerning his heavenly Father's love, anxiety and fears gnawed and nibbled. That's, that's the love of God. That's the incarnation. That's what happened when Virgin Mary gave birth to Jesus. That's what Messiah means. He looked at a fallen world from the inside. But he saw through it. 
he saw through to the light and the truth. He identified the darkness as lies. And he saw through to the love of his father that never wavered. And out of the depth of our thoughts of all our brokenness, he trusted his father. What can I say? Jesus isn't afraid of the dark. He has been to the pit of our sewer and has reported to us, Father is always there. Reported to us that the purpose of the Father is always love. And he carved a path that had never been carved before with a human mind. He declared his faith in the Father's love and received his Father's joy and refused to think the thoughts of Adam and the darkness. That's the gospel that went all the way through to death where he put to death the mind of the flesh, satanically inspired with lies, And he rose again from the dead with a resurrection mind. And then he shared with us the same Holy Spirit that had been with him in all his walk through our life. That's the gospel. He saved us from our deepest, deepest darkness all the way through to the externals. Yeah, he walked where we walk. And in walking where we walk, he called out the lie. He exposed the lie and believed through the darkness in the light. He believed his father's love. He believed the truth. That's the gospel. What can I say? That's the gospel. I can hear you. I think I can. You don't mean that Jesus ever felt like I feel? If he didn't, then he's not your savior. He's not my savior either. If God became flesh as some sort of elite that wouldn't touch our garbage, then he couldn't help us, could he? That's the glory of God's salvation. He came inside where we are, assumed what held us, and then as our representative shucked it off and overcame. This psalm, this psalm is a record of a point and points in Jesus' life as your my representative, when he experienced these feelings. And right there in your darkness and my darkness, he declared the truth, his faith unwavering in the Father who loved, that the lie tried to blind us to. 
<laughs> Look, <laughs> he, he, how can I put this? You don't have to find a way to convince him to come into your darkness. This message for you is, wake up, he's already inside your darkness. That's the meaning of salvation. He's already there. In some churches, they say, you've got to accept Jesus into your heart. Well, first of all, you've got to wake up to realize he brought you into his heart. And I mean you, I mean me, just as we are. Maybe as no one else knows us, because we're good at hiding things. But he takes up residence inside our darkness and says, this is my darkness. It's okay. We're coming out of this together. Huh. You see, that's it. Hear him say it right now. He's saying in your deepest being, it's okay. I'm here with you. And I can't be anywhere else because we are joined as one together. This is what the scripture means when it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. As surely as a branch is part of the tree, so you are in Christ. Christ Jesus, his mind, is where you have come. His whole life in his relationship to God the Father and to the Holy Spirit your, your dimension, that's where you live. And, and you didn't have to try and get there. He put you there. What happens is your eyes are open to realize the truth. Here you are. This is where you live. Another one says, he is the head and you are the body. Well, you can't have a body that's in South Africa while your head is in Malaysia. Come on. Where the head is, there is the body. Where the body is, there is the head. And so he came, one with us. Or as the scripture says, as he is, so are we in this world. Or again it says, for me to live is Christ. Or again the scripture says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. In this darkness, my darkness, that Jesus said is his. And that he sees through to the Father. And he declares that this darkness is filled with the light of the glory of God and the love of God. And what do I do? I trust in his faith. I trust in the report of Jesus. I let him carry me into his revelation. I don't try and do it. I don't try and see the light. I don't try and see the love. I say, Lord Jesus, I trust your faith in the Father. I trust you, Jesus, that in you I meet the love of the Father. He says here, that, that, where is it? He says, 
Um, I've trusted in your loving kindness. That's Jesus speaking, you see, in the psalm. Trusted in your loving kindness. Loving kindness is the word of the covenant. And so Jesus says that he has trusted the Father's covenant. That is, God swore by his own being never to leave or forsake and to be with us under all situations. And Jesus came inside of human and said, I trust that. And Jesus is your, my guarantee of covenant. Jesus is the guarantee that we are held so tight within the Father's grasp. And Jesus said, I share my spirit with the same Holy Spirit that was upon Jesus, that you read of in the Gospels, that same Holy Spirit now lives in you. Jesus is the guarantee of that. I exchange my mind, which has already been dead and buried with Jesus now, but I exchange it. I I wake up to the fact, and I exchange it for the mind of Jesus. That's how it is. But, but hold it. If Jesus has walked my life and is now walking my life, if he is in the middle of these thoughts, if he's in the middle of the dark, why am I experiencing it? Do you want a minute to think about that? If Jesus did this, if he has walked into the middle of human flesh thinking, human core belief and overcome it and exposed it as a lie and becomes the way, the pathway to the Father and love and life and freedom and joy and peace. Okay, if that's the case, why am I experiencing the darkness now? Good question. And yet, It's very simple in another sense. We're not robots. You see, when Jesus took you into himself and carried you all the way through death and brought an end to this crazy insanity of what we call life and raised us from the dead with him and carried us with him to the Father, He didn't turn us into robots. That's never been God's plan. And it's beside the point to talk about what he could have done, might have done. The fact is, you were created to be in a relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You. I. We were created. That's that's the blueprint. Created to have relationship. That is responding. Conscious response to God. Not not a robot, not a religious robot. All dressed the same, all saying the same, all walking in. No, no, no. This is me. Me as I've never been me before. Free, alive. To know he loves me. He gave himself for me. And I 
rest in that faith of his and I rest in his work and I rest in his going to the father that he carries me with him I'm not a robot I'm a person a person who can sit down and rest in Jesus and have the same relationship to the father as Jesus has the gospel you see is not a magic wand it isn't you stick up your hand and walk forward and you sort of know, woohoo, we're all in. Yes, I, I know. I believe in decisions. I believe in moments of wonder where we. But you see, I, what, what can I say? It's not a magic wand. It isn't that suddenly everything's okay. No, I am now going to discover relationship right in the middle of my darkness. I'm going to live this in Jesus. I'm going to see what Jesus saw. I'm going to live resting in his faith in the Father. And I'm going to be in the Father's presence, even as Jesus is. I'm going to sing the song of Jesus. Very different. That's a a track record. That's knowing God. And knowing that he knows you. You see, our agenda, and I don't put this down, um, is almost a place for it. Where, if there isn't a place, it's a fact that it's, we've passed through it. That our agenda is, I want to be happy. I want to get happy. How many people responded to some gospel call that actually promise the moment you say this prayer after me, you're going to be deliriously happy. Um, and, and you didn't have the courage to tell the chap that it didn't happen. But um, that's our agenda. It's okay. Because ultimately, ultimately, that is the design of God. The trouble is, our ideas of happiness are not very deep. They're pretty shallow. I, like David, and like what Jesus was going through at this time, the thought is, put this behind me. Or maybe we, we could say, I want to be blessed. Well, you see, what you're reading in that psalm, and Jesus walking through this psalm in his own experience, that was blessing. You, right now, at this moment, you are blessed. You are favored. What? Yes, the favor is, just think about it for a moment, realize your blessing, that as you walk through this moment of time, you do so inside of Jesus, and Jesus inside of you makes you some special human being. And at that self-same moment, the Holy Spirit that embraced and lived in Jesus embraces and lives in you. Stop and think about that for a day or two. How blessed can you be? See, this is the beginning of real life. At the beginning of our Christian life, most of us trusted our feelings about God rather than God himself, you see. Most of us, our ideas of God's love were more the feeling of that love rather than the love itself. But it's 
when we understand this, that really this is the heart of salvation, that he saves our minds, where all of our life really begins. Um, when I learn that, when I learn to rest, to realize the presence of Jesus Savior right in the middle of my darkness, to trust him right there, Trust his report that the Father is here now. And to move beyond our fickle sense feelings and recognize they were crucified with Christ, buried with him, and I'm now living the other side of the cross. That's the beginning of what the New Testament calls the renewal of our mind. And what's in Ephesians, it says, be renewed in the spirit or the deepest part of your mind. It's happening. Or as Paul prayed, the eyes of your understanding, and the Greek word there is this word we're talking about, the mind, the heart mind, the eyes of your being open, that you might know the hope to which you've been called, that you might know the exceeding greatness of his power, which is usward who believe, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's right there. It's in your life now. Jesus said, this I did for you. I re- Do you get it? Jesus said, I received the enlightening of my human eyes. I receive the opening up to see the darkness for what it is, lies. And I saw my Father's love ever there, always there. And says, Jesus, I received that for you. And I'm giving it to you right now. I trusted covenant love and I did that for you. I trust And trust isn't trying to work it out with your brain. Trust has nothing to do with your brain. This brain has to do with this brain, heart brain. It's it's confidence. It's, It's that deep inner rest and relying on. It is, it's almost being careless because you know it's okay. I mean, Christ... What I mean, stop anxieting about your thoughts. Stop all this that David talks about. You've left me, you've abandoned me, you've turned your back on me. No, they are the thoughts that Jesus saw right through and called them what they were, lies. It's okay for you to be where you are. It's okay for you to have the thoughts you have. Just recognize Jesus is not only there with you, you are in him and he's in you. And just... Ask him, open my eyes to see what you see. I choose to trust your faith in the Father. It's rest. It's okay to be here. It's okay to feel this because you're in Christ. And when people and when devils say, well, if you had more faith, laugh in their face. You have the faith of Jesus. The faith that just rests in the middle of all this. And when they say there must be sin in your life, the sin is in their mouth for accusing you. Oh, no. Let's get all these things straight. And when the Satan says, if you be a son, a daughter of God, slam it back to him and says, I am my father's child. And he witnesses that within me by his Holy Spirit. I don't have to do anything to prove it. 
It's okay to be here. And the psalm ends by saying, I will sing, right? (laughs) I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. That word bountiful is a word that's used in the Hebrew language to describe ripe fruit. Right, ripe fruit. You heard me. It means mature, come to fullness of life. That is no longer a baby tossed here by feelings. You feel good, so God must bless me. I feel bad, so I must have lost. No, no, no. You've come to the heart of faith. Who is Jesus? Not believing a formula, but just resting into the person who has become one with you, shares every part of life, including, above all, including your mind. Rest there. He's your life. He's your light. He's your faith. He carries you through, but not merely carries you as a robot. You enter into a relationship, you trust him, you share life, and he brings about the realization of the truth that you are right there in him, in the presence of the Father, and you're enjoying the assured presence of Father's love, even as Jesus does. Well, I wish I had another hour, because there's really more to say about this, but I suppose this has got to be it. And I trust, yeah, I do, I trust the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who is in me, who is in you, who is in fact God the Holy Spirit along with God the Son, God the Father. The Holy Spirit shared with you by this Jesus who is your very life. That Holy Spirit picks up on every word I've said and applies it to you. And we walk out of the darkness together. Come on, let's go. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, His beautiful blessing of presence, love presence, be revealed to you this day, this week, to the ages of ages. Amen.